welcome to Soul Speak. I'm your host, Erica Elmitz. This is the podcast where I help bring humanity to high consciousness and high consciousness to humanity, one podcast at a time. Have you ever really wondered about the power of faith in healing the physical body? Or why the placebo effect is so powerful? We know that having a positive mindset helps, but do you ever really think about how much? Or have you ever thought about the effect that fear has on your body and the healing process? If so, then stay tuned. This is the episode. So for today's episode, I am so excited to be talking about this topic with you, but I do have to acknowledge that at the end of the last episode, I did tease another topic for today's episode. I told you that we were going to be talking about self-sabotage, but here we are. I decided to change it up on you. And don't worry, I will be talking about that in a future episode. But today I wanted to come on and share this particular topic today because it's just so pertinent and relevant to what we're experiencing in the collective here in 2020. And it's been something that I have taught for years and years. And every time that I teach this particular topic, it's when I get the most feedback from my audience of people who, when they hear this information, have massive light bulb moments, big aha moments. They see things in a totally different perspective. And that's really what my role is always in my work, is to open your eyes, open your hearts, and open your mind to possibilities that maybe you never understood. And this episode is no different. But before I get started, I'm going to pull my oracle message for the start of this conversation. And today I'm going to be using the Nature's Whispers Oracle Deck by Angela Hartfield and Josephine Wall. And I'm going to be pulling this live here as I'm recording. And just to set the tone for this particular conversation and just as an additional layer of insight and things to ponder as we have this conversation today. So I'm just going to pull. So let's see what we get for today's conversation. And we get the card Catch Your Breath. So I'm just going to read the little description here in the book because it's not very long rather than try to summarize. And it says, take a break and enjoy a quiet period. This time can be used to regroup, recover, and stabilize yourself. It is wise to keep in mind the fact that this is for a limited period of time. You are pausing to regain your footing. As you evaluate your environment, check to see if you need to clear any ill will with anyone. Ask for forgiveness and be willing to forgive as necessary to move forward. Enjoy this downtime and acknowledge the importance of recharging your energy so that you are refreshed and ready to tackle life and any challenges that come your way. I love that this came in for this conversation because we are going to be talking about the impact of emotions and thoughts on our physical bodies. And if you're holding on to any resentment or any ill will, that tends to eat away at your physical form. And it's something that, what's the saying, you know, when you hold a resentment, it doesn't poison the other person, it only poisons you. So this is making sure that we take our time to go quiet and inward and tune into what we're really feeling, what we're carrying in our physical body, 
and just to be mindful and aware of what we are experiencing. So really quickly in announcements, as we are experiencing the craziness of 2020, I just wanted to point to you that on my YouTube channel, I have, I have hundreds and hundreds of videos, but I have a specific playlist I've put together for those of you that are on a lightworker journey of some kind, whether this is just in your personal life, you feel called to the mission of being a light worker, or whether you're doing this professionally, I have a whole playlist of videos that's intended to support those of you that consider yourselves light workers. I will link it in the show description below to make it easy for you guys to find. And do stay tuned because I am going to be announcing a few new exciting projects coming in. And um, I'll probably be announcing them over on YouTube. And I'm sure I will um, announce them here as well. But if you want the latest scoop, definitely go over to the YouTube channel, subscribe and hit the notifications bell. That way you get the announcement as soon as it comes out. I think that's about it for the announcement. So let's just dive into the topic of the day. So one of the reasons I have dedicated a lot of my time in the last almost 15 years to teaching about the aspect of faith versus fear and the whole concept of the placebo effect is because most people know that it's real and they get it intellectually. But in my experience, they haven't really seen it in action enough to really wrap their brains around it. So my intention today is to give you some concrete examples that will help you understand why your mindset, your emotional state, and how you think really impacts your physical body. Now, typically when I teach this in front of an audience, I usually take the audience through a visualization process where I demonstrate to them the way that they can incite a physiological response in their body by a mere thought. Now, think about it, though. You know, when you get nervous, you feel kind of nauseous in your stomach or you get anxious, you feel it kind of jittery, right? That is your body having a physiological response to an emotion. So most people can make that connection pretty easily. But with what I'm going to share today, I'm hoping that by the end of this podcast today that you are noted that you can feel an incredible and profound appreciation and understanding for the power of the mind when it comes to our healing process. So the first thing I want to talk about today is understanding more about the placebo effect. And when I really started digging into this in my professional career, one of the resources I found extremely helpful was a book by Dr. Lisa Rankin called Mind Over Medicine. I highly recommend it for any of you that want to get more details about this. But she amassed a bunch of studies that were put together on the impact of the placebo effect. Now, she's a medical doctor and had pulled together all the different studies and goes over these throughout the book. And I'm going to share some of these stories with you here as a Cliff Notes version. But this is where I got these from. And so definitely recommend checking that book out if you're interested in going more in depth. But I just want to pull a few examples of some of the studies that have been done on the power of the placebo effect, because it's very real with its impact on a body's ability to heal itself. Now, when we're obviously living in 2020 with everybody being concerned about their health 
in a very massive way, this information is even more important to be understood. So just to start at a basic level, the placebo effect is something that happens when we're talking oftentimes about a treatment or a medicine of some kind, where you take a medicine, you believe it's going to work, and it actually works. The placebo effect is that the belief of the person receiving the treatment or the substance believes wholeheartedly in its ability to help them, and therefore they get a benefit from it. So I'm just going to detail a few examples here to show you the extent to which the placebo effect can be powerful. Because I'm sure we all intellectually think, yeah, I'm sure it has some effect, but really how much can it really impact things? Like, is it a little bit? Is it a lot? Is it just depend depending on the situation? So I'm going to bring you a few examples here that are detailed in this book. So the first one is a really interesting study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And this is where there was a doctor that had pioneered a form of knee surgery. And he decided to do a clinical study on his particular surgery to determine its effectiveness. And so what he did is he set up the study in a way where he had a whole group of people that had a certain type of knee pain. He gave half of the people in the study the actual knee surgery. Now the second group in the study was the control group. And for the individuals that were in this group, he basically went and set up an elaborate fake surgery scenario. He brought the patients in. He sedated them. He put up the sheet in between, you know, their body and, and where the surgery was happening down at the knee. He put on the screen a video of a real surgery happening. And he even had these suction noises and sort of the water noises that they do in surgery so that the person going through the process thought that they were actually having the real surgery. And he even gave them some stitches and gave them basically what was a fake surgery, but looking like they had had the surgery. Now, here's what is fascinating. Of the group of people who actually received his surgery, 30% got full resolution of their knee pain, which is a really, really great result when you when it comes to doing a study and getting a positive result. So 30% had a resolution of their knee pain completely. But here's the crazy part. Of the people that got the fake surgery, they also had a 30%, 30% of them also had a resolution of their, pain, of their knee, knee pain. So whether you were in the group that got the actual surgery or whether you were in the placebo group, there was 30% resolution across the board of knee pain. So, of course, I don't know what this really says about the power of his surgery <laughs> as much as it just demonstrates the power of the placebo effect. These people genuinely believed they were getting knee surgery and then their knees got better at the same rate as those who actually did. Now, there was another study that was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it was done on asthma. Now, they had a number of different groups within this study. So they had four groups. In one group, the people in the study actually received the medicine, the albuterol, 
for asthma. The second group received an inhaler, but it wasn't actually albuterol in it. So it was like a fake inhaler. The third group received acupuncture and the fourth group received fake acupuncture. Now, I have no idea how you fake how you fake acupuncture where you're putting in needles in a person's body, but I'm just going with it, right? Um, that was my question was like, how do they fake acupuncture? But I'm sure there's ways that they can do it with maybe plastic needles or whatever. So anyway, um, that's that's beside the point. So what was interesting is they had the four different groups. So they had the two actual treatments, one being an allopathic treatment, the other being uh, obviously acupuncture, Chinese medicine. And then, the, and then they were also comparing the fake um, acupuncture and the fake allopathic remedy. And here's the results. There was a 50% improvement in the asthma symptoms of the participants in this study across the board. So it didn't matter whether you were given the actual albuterol, whether you were given a fake inhaler, whether you had acupuncture or whether you had fake acupuncture. So the point is 50% improvement across the board, no matter what you received. And arguably in two of those four instances, they were getting fake treatment, but the person really believed they were getting the treatment. So that to me is massively powerful. It goes beyond simply just the treatments that people are given. There also is a major effect when it comes to the caregiver the person who is delivering the information, delivering the guidance, maybe the physician or the medical doctor who is um, performing the, the surgery or the, giving the treatment or making the recommendations. And there was a study that was done. It was in, oh, also New England Journal of Medicine, but it was done in conjunction with Harvard Medical School. And it was about understanding the power of the caregiver. So what they did in this study is they studied people, um, they took anesthesiologists and the anesthesiologist went in to talk to the real patients prior to the, the surgery that they were having. And what they did is they took the same anesthesiologists, but what they did is they had them behave differently with their patients prior to surgery. So when they're going in right before surgery and all in the communication, these very same anesthesiologists were told that with some of the patients, they were going to be very warm and caring and positive. You know what? You're going to have a great outcome. You're going to be all set in no time. We do this all the time that you're going to get a great result and really being positive and upbeat and caring and nurturing when they were talking to their patients. And then in the other group, what they did is they were very quiet and kind of cold, gruff, very businesslike, not very friendly. And so they studied the differences with these two groups. And what they found was that the people who received the positive caregiver, they had, first of all, half the need for pain medication, meaning they weren't in nearly as much pain. And secondly, they were also discharged from the hospital an average of 2.6 days sooner than those people who had gotten the more business-like, not very nurturing anesthesiologist prior to their surgery. Now that is a massive difference, is it not? So you can imagine what happens and the responsibility that um, a caregiver of any kind, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, any alternative um, healing practitioner, the 
the impact the caregiver has on the result in the patient is massive. I know I've had many conversations with people, including family members, where they go to their medical doctor, and this isn't knocking medical doctors at all. This is just the experience that they were having. And when they've told me some of the things that their doctors has said, have said to them, I'm like, I can't believe the doctor said that because all it did was instill fear. It instilled fear, it instilled worry, as opposed to really understanding the impact that somebody in their position could have. I know I had that experience with my doctor not long after I had given birth. I remember I called her up and I had been having some symptoms and I was chatting with her over the phone and no joke, she's like, you have to get in here really quickly. It could be, it could be cancer. It could be really, really bad. And I'm in my mind, I was like, excuse me? Because the symptoms I was having were completely normal for someone who had recently given birth. Or it, certainly it could have been cancer, right? It could have been anything in between. But the fact that she went there over the phone with me from a place of fear, I fired her that day. I was like, I can't go back to you anymore. How can I go to you when you're jumping to the worst possible case scenario over the phone with me because I knew that she easily could have said something like, well, you know, hey, it could be totally normal, you know, for the stage that you're at and all these things, but why don't you just come in and I'll just check you out just to be sure. You know, she could have said that, but no, (laughs) she went to the worst of the worst. And I remember hanging up that phone going, you're not my doctor anymore. Because I couldn't bring myself to be in, in, the, in, the, in the care of a person who immediately went to the worst case scenario. So again, I know many doctors don't operate this way. And this is not about knocking the medical profession in any way whatsoever. This is simply just explaining my examples and my family's examples of what we've encountered and the effect that it has on us. Now, the effect that it can have on you is what we're going to talk about next, because there is something that is opposite of the placebo effect. And it is called the nocebo effect. And I first learned about this concept from Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I consider to be one of my biggest mentors. Um, I've been studying his work for over 15 years now, and he's magnificent. But he's he's the person who first introduced me to this concept. But the nocebo effect is that if you believe something is dangerous or bad for you, it's going to have that effect on you. So let me talk about some of the examples from the book I was referring to about the nocebo effect. It's just as real as the placebo effect, but just in the other direction. One of the studies that was mentioned was there was a study being done on an experimental chemotherapy drug. And as you know, when drugs get moved to clinical trial, It's people that have been screened and they're like, hey, do you want to try this experimental drug? And most people at that point, they've exhausted other options. So they're like, yeah, let me do it. So they did the study and with there was the group that got the actual chemotherapy. And then in the control group, what they did is they gave them fake chemotherapy, meaning they went in, they sat there for all those hours and they were just getting saline. It wasn't actually the chemotherapy drug, but they didn't know this. They thought they were getting the chemotherapy drug. And what happened in the study was remarkable because of the 
Of the group that got the fake chemotherapy, 30% of them lost their hair. They didn't even get chemotherapy because they thought they were getting chemotherapy. And what happens when you have chemotherapy is you lose your hair. So this was an extremely powerful example of how when you think something negative or bad is going to happen, that it actually can happen. Our mind is just that powerful. There was another story where there was a gentleman who had gone to the doctor and his doctor found a spot on his lung. And he told him, basically, you have lung cancer and it's terminal and you don't have much long to live. Two weeks later, the gentleman passed. Now, what came about later is as his family was going through clearing up all of his belongings and his medical records and getting them all together, they discovered an x-ray that had been done, I believe it was 30 years prior. It was at least 20 or 30 years earlier that showed this exact same spot on his lung that the current doctor had found. And it hadn't changed shape. It hadn't changed size. So he had had that particular spot on his lung for a long time and was living fine with it. Yet two weeks after he was told he was going to die, he passed away. So understanding how the power of the mind and the beliefs and the positive energy and the caregivers all create a scenario that can either set us up for optimal health, for optimal healing environments, or can actually have a very detrimental effect. So you can imagine when we take a step back and look at where we are right now as a collective humanity and where we've been all through most of 2020. Imagine what it's like when an entire world is told to be afraid all at the same time. And not only does this affect us individually, but that collective energy is a frequency that impacts everybody. Everybody on the planet is swimming in that same pool of energy. Even if you are feeling strong and healthy and positive, you're still swimming in the collective fear energy. And so imagine what that can do to an entire planet mobilized at the same time, focused on the same thing that they fear that they are afraid of, and that they are told is going to come and get them. Now, the next part of what I'm going to talk about in this podcast, I want to say I realize that what I'm going to share next is going to be very much news to, me- to most of you. It's going to challenge your belief system. It's going to challenge what you've been told. It's going to challenge many aspects of what we have been conditioned as a society to believe about health. So I'm going to be bringing this up as food for thought, as things for you to consider, as things for you to even research further if you're so interested. But I can't be doing a conversation about faith and fear and the placebo and the nocebo effect without explaining this final part. So there's my disclaimer right off the bat (laughs) before I even get into this. But just know that this is about being open-minded and seeing potentially 
how this all ties into this topic. So what is it that I'm talking about? I'm talking about germ theory versus terrain theory and how they are fundamentally different when it comes to looking at the health of humans and the way that diseases are spread. Now, this is a very complex topic, and I'm not going to get too in-depth in it here. Um, I may do a future episode going more in-depth. But in general, when we're looking at germ theory versus terrain theory, germ theory is the idea that there are germs or microorganisms or viruses or bacteria that are floating around in the world, and when we come in contact with them, then they can cause disease. It is where the germs are like an external threat and we feel powerless because we don't know where they are. Are they everywhere? Are they nowhere? Are we going to be exposed? And it obviously brings about the concept of fear. Now, terrain theory, on the other hand, is emphasizing the fact that it is the state of the person, the state of the terrain that determines whether disease manifests or we get symptoms of a disease. It's basically the state of our entire body. Are we healthy? Are we getting enough water? Are we getting enough sleep? Are we balanced? Is our pH in a good place? Is our body more acidic? Is it more alkaline? So the terrain is more important than any kind of external force. Now, terrain theory says that the presence of the pathogen, being the bacteria or the virus, does not equate to causation, meaning that just because a virus or a bacteria is present in our body does not mean that the bacteria or the virus or the microbe of some kind, the germ, caused any symptoms of illness. So while I've been studying this and understanding this in my naturopathic background for about 15 years, I was recently listening to a conversation between Dr. Thomas Cowan and Sally Fallon Morell. And she, they're both, I believe, on the board of the Weston Price Foundation here in San Diego. And they were talking about the contagion myth. And so a lot of what I'm going to share now are just examples that I heard them speak of. And I want to give them credit for how they talked about it, because I thought it was really powerfully said. But one of the best examples of the terrain theory is by using the analogy of a a house on fire. So when a house is on fire, the firemen show up, right? There's a fire, the firemen show up. So in germ theory, because the firemen are present at a house fire, germ theory would say, well, the firemen must have caused the fire because when there's a house fire, the firemen show up. And another example is with maggots, for example. There's a dead animal and there's maggots. I know it's such a gross example. I'm so sorry I'm giving it to you, but it is, it is the clearest way to describe this. Germ theory would say there's a dead animal and there's maggots. Therefore, the maggots must have caused the animal to die because the maggots are present. But if that was actually true, this would be easy to prove. You could take a healthy, alive person and put maggots on their skin and then see if the person dies, which of course wouldn't happen because maggots only 
consume dead or decaying flesh. They don't eat or attack healthy tissue. Their role is to be cleaning up the waste from the dead or dying tissue. In fact, they are used as a therapy sometimes. Like if a patient has necrosis or dying tissue, they can actually bring them in and they will clean up the unhealthy tissue and then they go away once the only tissue remaining is healthy. And the same thing with the firemen. You could certainly prove that firemen would cause a house fire by taking a group of firemen, putting them in a house, letting them be there for 24 hours. And if a fire breaks out, then you know that the firemen caused the house to burn. And it would happen every time. So the fact that these things, these microbes, these organisms are around us does not equate to us getting sick. We have billions and billions of bacteria, viruses, that are, and even fungus that are, that's in our bodies all the time. We are literally hosting billions and billions of other organisms in our body as we speak. So if it was merely the presence of these viruses or bacteria or fungi that caused illness, then we would be sick all the time. So another aspect that's important to understand is that, for example, when it comes to a virus, a virus is an exosome, and I don't want to get too technical here, but a virus particle is actually a byproduct of the body's response to a toxin or a threat. It is not this little thing that floats through the air that's going to land on you and suddenly get you sick. Now, again, I realize that what I'm sharing right now is likely completely challenging your entire belief system around health, what you've been taught, what you've been told, what the world has told us is the way things work. So I definitely understand that this may not be an easy thing to hear. And many of you might even just be saying, she's so full of it, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And that's totally fine too. That is absolutely your prerogative not to believe me. And I have no care whether you do or not. I am merely here opening up your eyes and your minds, hopefully to other things that have not been considered. There have been experiments done where researchers have isolated the virus particle from different viruses identified it, isolated it, and literally done experiments where they have um, sprayed it on people, they've misted it on people, they've had it go in their eyes, their mouth, their nose, and they don't get sick. So why is that? If the virus is what gets you sick, why can't they replicate that in the experiments? Because it's not the complete story. The terrain of the individual is what determines whether we succumb to illness or not. Now, one might say to that, well, if you have a strong immune system, you just won't come down with it. But that still ascribes to the theory that the germ or the microbe is what actually causes the illness in the first place. And while a healthy immune system is absolutely imperative for maintaining optimal health and not getting sick, it is not like the immune system fights the invader, the invader of the virus, the invader of the bacteria. It is the healthy immune system that keeps the terrain in balance. Now, when we get sick, what you're experiencing is the body's response 
to some sort of an external threat of some kind. Now, this threat can be many causes. This threat could be caused by chemicals in our environment. This threat could be caused by something energetic, like frequencies, radio waves, microwaves, 5G technology. That is considered a threat to the human organism. It can be a nutritional deficiency that can cause some symptoms to come up because we are lacking certain nutrients that help our bodies function optimally. So the way the body signals us that we're deficient is to give us a symptom of some kind. Or lastly, it can also be the belief system, the thoughts, the emotions. That can be considered a threat to the human organism as well. And so when we are, we are threatened in some way from the outside of something that is not in our natural state, our body will actually produce the so-called symptoms in order to rid the body of the threat. Symptoms like rashes on the skin, symptoms like stuffy nose congestion, symptoms like coughing, fever, all sorts of different symptoms that are indicative of the body trying to detoxify whatever the toxin is that has come into its field and come into the body and the body is strengthening against this. This is why I don't ever use aspirin or ibuprofen when I have a fever because the body's natural response to whatever it's trying to detoxify is to elevate my body temperature. So why would I want to artificially reduce my body's healing response, reduce my fever and prolong my illness? Of course not. So I don't use those. I don't use decongestants because if my body is creating mucus to get rid of something, that's a natural process that I need to go through in order to be able to have whatever needs to get out, out. So probably the germ theory and the terrain theory conversation is the foundational differences between the different medical systems that we have in place. We have the allopathic medical system, Western medicine, which basically in a nutshell examines symptoms and then figures out what medicine or procedure can alleviate those symptoms. Whereas naturopathic medicine, which was what I'm trained in, is a completely foundationally different approach of understanding what is the initial cause of the actual symptom and addressing the actual cause of the symptom rather than the symptom itself. So rather than trying to put on a cream to help a rash go away, a naturopath like myself would be asking the question of why does this person have a rash? What is causing it? Is it a nutritional deficiency? Is it an allergic reaction to something? Is it a fear of something? I mean, it could be many reasons. And it's interesting because when I worked at the homeopathic pharmacy, there were many times customers would come in and be like, well, what's the best supplement to take for a headache? And I would say, well, it depends. And they always hated that answer because they just wanted a, a substitute for their aspirin or their ibuprofen that they typically took when they got a headache. They wanted something more natural. But my answer is always it depends because it depends on the reason. Are you dehydrated? Is that the reason for your headache? Is it a hormonal headache? Is it from stress? Is it from a spinal misalignment in your neck? Is it from staring at the computer too long? You know, what is the reason for your headache? Because again, this helps to illustrate the difference in the philosophy of the germ theory versus the terrain theory. 
Now, while there's so much more to this discussion and dialogue about this concept, I'm certainly not going to get into it here, but I hope that just even by sharing what I have shared already, that it opens your mind and gives you some food for thought when it comes to understanding the power of the mind to heal the body. Because think about it, which one feels more empowering to you? Would you rather feel that and believe that there is this external threat, this force, this live thing that's ready to attack you and make you sick, and that you have to live in fear and be worried and scared all the time, not knowing if this thing's going to, invisible thing is about to attack you? Or would you feel more empowered knowing that you have control over the health of your terrain? You have control over whether your body is in balance. You have control over understanding that when you're healthy and, and balanced, that you don't have to fear something coming and making you sick from the outside. So regardless of your stance or response to the conversation about germ theory versus terrain theory, I hope that by sharing the initial stories and understanding about the placebo effect and the nocebo effect, that you can at least take away from this podcast today a deeper, more profound understanding of the power of the mind and the spirit to help the body heal. And again, if you're interested in going more in depth, you can look up the book, The Contagion Myth by Dr. Thomas Cowan. And there's plenty of resources online to research through, although I would recommend for this topic in particular, searching on a search engine like DuckDuckGo rather than using the other more famous one that begins with a G and ends with an E. <laughs> Because we know of the full censorship going on on that platform and you're not likely to find more of this information because there are many industries that may be threatened by more people understanding this. So just know that it may be a little difficult to find, but it's out there if you do seek it. So normally at this point in the podcast, I do a question of the week, but because this one's been a little bit longer than usual, I'm going to skip that this time. And I'm going to pull a final Oracle message as we wrap this up. But before I do that, next episode, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite things in the whole world, and that is flower essences. Many of you may know Rescue Remedy or use them with your children or your pets, but flower essences are unbelievable and no, they're not essential oils. They are distinctly different, but they are an incredible tool that I use in my day-to-day -day life for so many different things. So I'm really excited to be bringing you more conversation about flower essences next week. And so let's pull final guidance message here. Again, pulling this live. Oh my word, we get the card empowerment. Holy cow. Well, given what we were just talking about, I love that this is the final message that just came through. So I'm actually going to read what it says here for this card. Okay, so here's what it says. It says, the moment for respect for life and all living things, attuning to nature and to the creatures of the earth is at hand. Tune into the deep well of compassion that spills over readily to anyone who needs your help. You are being directed to take action to remove difficulties and sorry, resolve problems. Be receptive to guidance from wherever it happens to come. 
Don't be surprised to receive support from unusual avenues, and be alert to seemingly random input, which will give you clues and ideas that had not occurred to you earlier. Once you have picked up these signs, pursue them diligently and with determination. The potential for them to pay off is immense, and as soon as you know what action to take, take it. Well, given what we just talked about today, I'm hoping that there's been something that has awakened in you and opened your mind and expanded you into feeling a lot more empowered when it comes to our health, the health of our family, the health of our loved ones, and the health of our communities. So with that, guys, um, wrap this episode up. And for more information about all my programs that I offer, please visit my website at ericaelmitz.com. And until next time, I'm Erica Elmitz. You've been listening to Soul Speak. Be well, my loves. Thank you.